When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. <sighs> You're right there, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I kept hitting, I kept hitting the wrong button. Oh. Uh, welcome to the Long May Young bonus episode. Yes, welcome. Uh, thank you. We're part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I want to thank Christian Swain, yes, who's uh, one of the guys who runs the Pantheon Podcast Network, for helping us uh, get uh, producer and musician extraordinaire Danny Korchmar. Yeah, yes, pretty bitching. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. Uh, d- if you don't know Danny Korchmar, he produced uh, the album Landing on Water, which we just talked about, which we all had mixed reviews on. Um, but, uh, overall, uh, pretty, and this was recorded before we did that episode. Yes. Overall, very prolific dude. Uh, incredible career. He's worked with everybody. Yeah. Uh, Carol King, James Taylor. I think, uh, uh, Russ, you mentioned John Lennon. Yeah. Uh, I think he worked with Ringo Garfunkel. Yeah. Ringo Starr. And then Paul McCartney. Because of the, our interview with him. I was able to go back and listen to some of his early solo stuff, I think, mm-hmm. from the 70s. Really, really fucking good. Yeah, his yeah fir- that, that first that, album, that album is really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you compared, him checking to, out. you compared him to Little Feet. That album has a very Little Feet vibe to it. It's got kind of a funky Southern yeah. soul kind of thing going on, which I is like really, really good. And he's a great musician. I think he just... Yeah, you'll hear. It's, yeah, you'll hear. Cool. He, he doesn't exactly agree with some of my opinions anyway. Yeah. Um, if you want to uh, listen to more... Danny Korchmar, you should check out the Immediate Family. That's uh, the band that he's in with, uh, with a bunch of big names, super session guys. Yeah, because he's done sessions with like a uh, Wadi Wattel and uh, yeah. Russ Kunkel, and it's it's great. The, the album's uh, slipping and sliding. <laughs> yeah, really, really great uh, EP. I think he said it's going to be a full album. The problem is, Mike. Uh, yeah, I didn't look up how to get an interview going. You don't have anything that I could play that could show us how to get an interview going, do you? Well, I just happen to have this VHS tape with an instructional uh, oh, let's, video. Let's pop on it, it in. Yeah. Welcome to How to Start Your Interview. <laughs> when starting an interview, try to not make it awkward by saying, hey, we think you're great, or love your work, but get right into it. Maybe something that has nothing to do with what you're originally going to talk about. 
and then shortly after that, try to piss off your subject by telling him his work sucks. Good luck and have fun doing that interview. Love it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but we are grateful that we got. Yeah, to yeah it was very nice talking yeah, to him. The guy's a legend. A fucking legend. And, and it's fucking the great la- interview. Last time we'll ever talk to him. Um, <laughs> not not on our one. Not a. Oh, he'll talk to you guys. Yeah, he'll never <laughs> yeah. talk to me again. That's for sure. Well, we had a great time and a good conversation, and here it is. Danny? Yes, please. Hi, so, Danny. Okay, you, are, you are calling me about Neil Young, right? Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry, Mr. Claw. I don't understand why it didn't ring. I phoned it to ring, but it didn't. Okay. So, well, anyway, here I am. I'm glad you got back to us. Thank you very much for doing that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, yeah, uh, we're, uh, we do a podcast. Uh, first of all, my name is Mike, uh, and you're also talking to uh, Luke and hey. Russ. Hey. And uh, we do a podcast called Long May You Young. And what we do is uh, we're covering okay. Neil Young's catalog um, oh, by release. So um, we're getting to landing on water very soon. And thanks to uh, Christian Swain, uh, we're part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. He put you in touch with us. So we're, we appreciate you talking to us about this. Oh, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but first... Can we just talk about how you were like part of some of the most like pivotal moments in yeah. popular music history, <laughs> yeah. which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, and, and uh, for those that don't know, Danny, it's, it's Korchmar, right? Am I saying that right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, you were, you were part of Carol King, her album tapestry. Not only did you play guitar on it, but you, you'd help write some of the songs, right? Not on tapestry. No. Oh, okay. No. Uh, I wrote, I've written songs with lots of cool people, but uh, not, not Tapestry. I just played guitar on that one. Oh, okay. Still, though. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty huge. And then um, yeah. you, you not only played, you, did you play on Sweet Baby James? That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so not only did you play on that, but you also were in a band with James Taylor, like way back in the day. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were you were probably you know really part of Linda Ronstadt's rising popularity in the seventies. Um, yeah, and then uh, you worked with uh, David Crosby and Graham Nash also. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> most importantly, though, and I think this is probably the one that really, I mean, just nailed it for me anyway. Was you were in Spinal Tap. <laughs> The absolute zenith of my career. Yeah, I mean, you were you were there in the beginning. You weren't there during the you know the puppet show days. You were there, you know, when they were just starting out. Yeah, that's right. I was I was in the Thamesman. Yes. The, oh, there that's was the right. Thamesman back right. then. Oh my gosh. That's right. 
if you look at the uh, if you look at the film, there's a clip of them doing "Give Me Some Money," right? Right. And I am the bass. I'm the bass player. I'm playing bass. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> you were part it of the, the loudest band in the world. Well, not at that well, time. Well, that's, but... uh, that's what they say. Let me say that's that's what always gets people. When I'm telling them I'm in Spinal Tap, that always gets a big rise. So it's a lot of fun <laughs> to have that credit. Um, and then also you were in the Fugs, which I thought I'm was pretty. So. <laughs> which I thought was pretty awesome. Um, right now, was that before or after you worked in England for a little while? I never worked in England. Oh, see, uh, I thought you were. I, I read you were a session person in in England for a little while. Not true. Oh, well, I'm glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> I, I never, I never lived there. We went over there to play several times. But uh, I never did sessions. I was never a session guy in, in England. Fucking Wikipedia. I know, man. <laughs> Fuck Wikipedia. Yeah, wrong. Damn it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we asked. That's why we're talking to you. We like to fact check things because we, uh, you know, we, we have we a lot know? of, we, we, most of the time <laughs> yeah. when we can get people to actually give us the truth. Um, uh, and that's why we want you on because we're going to be talking about uh, Neil Young's album Landing on Water, which you are a co-producer of. And, right. and uh, so we just wanted to give people a little background. And then these days you're in a band called The uh, Immediate, Immediate Family. Family. Immediate Family. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. You just had an album come out, or an EP, sorry. We have an EP coming out. That, well, it's out now, and we have an album coming out next year. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Very nice. We're also working on a documentary. There's a documentary being made about us. Oh, nice. By Denny, by Denny Tedesco, who, who did the uh, uh, Wrecking Crew documentary. Oh, wow. Sweet. Oh, perfect. That's awesome. And you, yeah. and that's like, you, you were basically, you weren't part of the Wrecking Crew, but you were part of that group of studio musicians, like through the 70s and 80s that were just, you were omnipresent. You guys were everywhere. You and yeah, Russ, well, Russ Kunkel. Right. And, we kind of came after the Wrecking Crew. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Leland has done more sessions than any of us. He got to work with those fellas uh, a, a little bit, but, um, you know, just before there was a changing of the guard kind of in and and Leland Leland Sklar's in the immediate family. Russ Kunkel's in the immediate family, and, and who else is in it? Well, Wadi Wachtel, my That's dear right. friend, All right. and 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 Steve Postel, who's a, a newer friend. Mm -hmm. Excellent, nice. Well, uh, I guess our first question would be, how did you meet Neil? Can you kind of get into that a little bit? Well, everybody back in the day, everyone knew everybody, um, <laughs> and uh, everyone hung out with everybody. So. I can't remember when I actually met Neil, but I met him and Sills and Crosby and all them fellers around the same time. Like I said, um, up in, uh, in, the, in uh, Laurel Canyon, everybody knew everybody else, and everybody was hanging out with everybody. So um, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when I met Neil, but I'll tell you, we did a session together, he and I. It was uh, a monkey's tune it was, uh, uh, for the monkey's album, Head, their, their movie. They made a movie called Head, if you remember. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, Jack Nicholson was uh, directed it. I think he wrote it. And um, Jeez. so we played on the soundtrack. So it's the soundtrack. And there's a tune on there called As We Go Along that Carol, Carol King and Jerry Goffin wrote. And three guitar players on it. Myself, Neil, and Ry Cooter. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> some good guitar That's playing. That's some heavy yeah. guitar playing right there. Yeah. Yeah. I know. How, how much fun is that? Right? Yeah. So, so I, I got... First time I got to play with Neil. That was the first time I ever played that I got to play with Neil. Now, now before we get into landing on water, I just want to preface this just to be completely transparent and upfront with you. And I can't speak for Luke or Russ. This is Mike. Um, okay. Up to this point in our podcast, this is 
what in my humble opinion neil young's worst album and i just want to put that up front because i don't want to be like oh yeah everything's great and everything i just want you to know where i'm coming from i just think that it it's just it's a t- although i've warmed up to it over the years especially the last three songs on the album which is uh, right. i got a problem pressure and, and drifter i believe um, well, I'd have to say to you in response to that right away, I'd have to say that Neil does not care. How you yes. <laughs> yes. That's, that's why we're making this podcast. Yeah. That's why we love Neil. <laughs> that's why we love Neil, because he just doesn't care and he does whatever the fuck he wants and he doesn't, you know. Although it yeah. seemed like, and if it, correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed to me like he really did care at this point because of other things that were going on in his life, with especially with Geffen. And Geffen was like, after we just did Everybody's Rockin', the album before this. Uh-huh. Or no, no, Old Ways right. was before this. But we just did that. And that's when the problems with Geffen started. And they prevented him from recording and stuff like that. So my, my question to you right off is, did Neil want you for this project? Or did Geff you were already working with Don Henley, who was on Geffen. And right. uh, so did they say, why don't you get in there and try to make a hit album for Neil? No, that never happened. And that never would happen. Neil, like I told you, he doesn't care. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it wouldn't matter who suggested me or anyone else. He he marches, as you well know, if you know anything about Neil, he he marches to his own drummer, and he follows his own uh, heart and his own instincts. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd also have to tell you, I'd also have to tell you, uh, since we're talking about it, that I'm I produced a lot of albums, about twenty years worth of record production, as you said, Don Henley and a bunch of other people, mm-hmm. and of all the records I made, that is like top four or five albums that I love. And I think it is absolutely brilliant. I just listened to it, and I still think it's absolutely fucking brilliant. Okay, I said my. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I I I respectfully disagree in that part. Well, and yeah, that, you may disagree with me, but I know better than you. No, no, no. I I understand <laughs> that completely. True. Yeah, you were there, <clears throat> and you put a lot of you put a lot of work into it for sure. But um, it's not just that. It's that I work with because you just named some of the people I work with, so I know what the fuck I'm talking about. When I say it's great, it's great, pal. Maybe you ought to listen again. Uh, <laughs> believe me, and, I've listened. And, I've listened several times since the album came that out. That's a great. It's a great, great, great album. In my not so humble opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, Neil himself said, uh, and I'm, I think I'm quoting here. Let's be honest about it. If I was going to give one of my records to somebody. I don't think this would be the one. Mm-hmm. No, then he's wrong too. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Neil usually is uh-huh. wrong about his music. <laughs> but again, if he's wrong, he still doesn't give a shit. Yeah, which is the, why we love right. Neil Young. Absolutely. Like I said, he follows he follows his nose and he, and he follows his instincts and he does what he's feeling at the time. Which is why he kept making all those different records. He made mm. everybody's rocking because he felt like making a rock and roll record, like a, a rockabilly type record. No, were and you? He did, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, were you kind of around when he was making Everybody's Rock? And we just did that, um, that album. We had, uh, we, we've literally, I think, what are we on? We're going Our on 25th episode here. Yeah. But we've gone from the beginning and we're huge Neil fans. And we, I think one of the things we admire about him the most is like you said, he doesn't give a shit. He does what he wants and he doesn't do it for anybody but himself. And we, Right. We love that. But uh, were you around when he did Everybody's Rockin'? Because we had kind of mixed reviews on maybe why he made that. Because we know that he originally had proposed a certain kind of style thing to Geffen. And then Geffen said, no, I want this. And then Neil came out with uh, Everybody's Rockin'. We heard he, he, there's rumors that he recorded it in like two hours. Were you around uh-huh. during that time? 
Well, no, I wasn't working with Neil. I was in L.A. And uh, like I said, everybody knew everybody. But uh, I don't think I ran into Neil when he was making that record. Oh, okay. But again, he wouldn't do what anybody said. It didn't matter what Geffen had to say. He was going to do what he wanted. He, he made that record because he wanted to make a rockabilly record, period. Okay. That's and, what he made. And was that the same thing with Landing on Water? Like he, he, exactly. That's, he that's wanted... the same thing with every album he's ever made, okay? I promise you. Well, that's the way it is. That's the way he does it. Right. And, but like, how much did you have to do with it? Because that, that's what we've we've learned about Neil is that once he's in this, he's the one, the, the pretty much the gatekeeper. So you could have all the ideas in the world, you know, of all the of all your experience, and then he could just say, no, nah, you know, he he's got the final say, right? So how much of that was he taking from you? Well, it was a total collaboration, uh, and uh, I don't remember him. You know, he didn't order any of us around. He didn't say, oh, I don't like that. Don't do that. Do this. He, he got us in there because he trusted us. He trusted the people that, he, that were in there. And he, he called me because uh, of the stuff I had done with Henley, uh, which had a lot of uh, synthesizers and a lot of programming. And he had just gotten a sync clavier. I don't know if you guys know what a sync yeah. clavier is. Oh, yeah. It was one yeah. of the early. All right. And he was fooling around with that and decided he wanted to use it to make his next record. And he knew I knew about, you know, various electronic keyboards and stuff because we did a lot of uh, Henley. We used that stuff on Henley's record a lot, you know. So he felt uh, that I would be a good call. That's why uh, I got the call to work on that. Because I, I read in um, Jimmy McDonough's book, Shaky, that you said it doesn't matter who produces Neil. Neil could get one of those professional wrestlers to co-produce and it will still come out the same. But, yes, that's true. But he, he was taking your ideas. He was he was receptive yeah. to it. Okay. Do you have a song? Yeah, do you have a song off of Landing on Water that like speaks to you particularly? Like, do you have like a favorite off of that one? Well, you know, there's so many. Bad News Beat, I think it's fantastic. Yep. I Got a Problem is great. Uh, I Got a Problem, People yeah. on the Street is great. Hippie Dream is great. Hippie you know. Dream, I think, is my favorite off of the album, I think, if I had to right. pick one. so I haven't uh-huh. I haven't really introduced myself. I'm Russ. Um, I, yeah, I, I, think, I think I Got a Hi. I think I Got a Problem is probably one of my favorites. I was just reading the lyrics to that one, too. And um, the interesting thing about this podcast that we're doing, because we're going through album by album, um and so it's funny that we're getting into the 80s now and it's you know obviously you can't ignore how uh i don't even know the right words but the early stuff of neil is just so profound and so sort of i don't know culturally shaking and um you know we're getting into the 80s and you you sort of see these shifts in neil and it's it's funny because all three of us have different perspectives on what we like and don't like and so Mike obviously feels a certain way about this album. Luke and I might feel a different way, but each album we all are sort of like, ah, oh, these, these are things I like, these are things I don't like. And like we've been saying, one of the things we say on this podcast, we have a saying, which is just fucking Neil, man. Because no matter what you think, it's always just fucking Neil, man, you know? And I'd, uh, have, to say, I'd have to say, guys, I just want me to interject and say that you guys should be more like Neil. Mm-hmm. He listens to everything and brings everything in. There's no kind of music he doesn't like. Right. He doesn't care. You know, if you like acoustic, acoustic music, he does too. But he also likes hard rock, which, which is what uh, Landing on Water is. If it, it's hard rock. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I would say to you guys, be like, have the Catholic taste with a small C, like Neil does. Right. You know, and, uh, yeah. uh, you know just because, just um, uh, you know, if you love old ways, that doesn't mean you can't love this album. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I personally listen to all kinds. I listen to all kinds of music, you know, and, I listen to acoustic music. I listen to hard, hard writers. I love ACDC. I love Joni Mitchell. 
you know, yeah, everything. Why not? Well, well, Why Danny, not? Danny, I have to, I have to say that I, I'm the same way. I listen to what I like, and it, and it covers a lot of diverse styles of music we were just you know during our trans episode you know i was talking about how much i love you know listening to craft work and noi and you know some of the german stuff that was started in the early 70s and stuff he was taking from like that i'm a huge fan of death metal you know i'm a big uh-huh. slayer fan so and i also love Joni mitchell i mean i can i i have a very i like to think you know you i have do. a very open mind about music because i mm-hmm. just like what i like and i'm and i'll tell you right now we, we love neil young and we do we dedicate this time to do a podcast to him, but we're not like sycophants. We're not going to be kissing his ass. We don't think everything he did. Obviously, don't think everything he did was perfect. And we're not afraid to say, you know, what we like and what we don't like. Of course. And we yeah, do right. that. And I like to think we do that with, you know, maybe not as much as you, but a somewhat educated opinion on different styles of music. I mean, Russ and Luke are in a band called Town Meeting and they mix a, a bunch of different styles of music together. And, and they, they write songs. They're musicians also. So I like to think that we approach the podcast like you would like us to. Yeah. With an open mind about music. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, listen, it's great that you're, uh, uh, you know, paying attention to Neil's career and all the albums he made. He's, he's uh, so prolific and, and has done, done so much great stuff mm. that um, obviously there's. And now he has his archives coming out. He's going to re- he's going to release every single thing he ever uh, yeah. that he ever recorded, which is a lot of stuff, you know. Yeah, we, we all can't have. Keep, we, can't keep him down. He's irrepressible. No. You can't keep him down. Yeah, yeah, and he's doing the high res thing on the. He has like an app, and you can do the archives and listen in high res and everything. And he he's just always got his finger on the pulse of, you know, just what's happening in in uh, music and culture and even you know even things with social justice. He's just always. He's always, he doesn't, like you said, you just can't keep him down. And that's something no, we, we really love about him. And um, do you have any cool stories as far as working with Neil and some of that sort of not give a fuck type of mentality with him or just things you guys might have, um, I don't know, just inter- cool, positive interactions, mediocre things. Or whatever. negative interactions. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as for not giving a fuck, he doesn't give a fuck about what other people think about him. Yeah. But he he definitely cares very deeply about what he's making. Yeah. And that it have uh, and and that it be up to his standards. Right. Oh um, yeah. As for as for the process of making landing on water, uh, when uh, when I went to see Neil to start talking about this, uh, as, as soon as uh, he talked to me, you know, he said he'd be interested in co-producing. I said absolutely. It took me uh, a quarter of a second to say yeah, you of bet. You know. Uh, and the next thing I did was to call Nico Bolas and Steve Jordan. Now, Steve Jordan is, you must know about Steve Jordan. He's one of the absolute finest musicians of his generation. Yeah, I and totally one the great, agree. One of, the greatest, yeah. one of the greatest drummers ever, yeah. mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've played with them all. So, uh, and, and uh, Nico Bolas is a fantastic audio engineer who ain't afraid of volume. He's not afraid of that big beat. And mm-hmm. he's not afraid of, of the volume, you know. just <laughs> You know, we listen back loud. Right. So that was my first move as a producer, and I could have left then, you know. Although I did, I played on all of it, so I couldn't have left then. But that was my main <laughs> contribution in a way, because you know, getting those two cats in that set it up. Neil recognized immediately both those guys were great, yeah. and he loved both those guys. Well, so we walk into the studio, uh, record one, back room, and record one, and uh, Neil's stuff is there. He hasn't arrived yet, but his stuff is there. And there's uh, Old Black, right? His Gibson guitar. Hmm. Oh, nice. So. It's, Steve Jordan, who's irrepressible, grabs it and starts banging away on it and starts rolling around on the floor while he's oh, playing. Jeez. 
And, and Neil walks in, and, and Neil, you know, he's, Neil just starts laughing. You know, it's hilarious. <laughs> Here's Steve rolling on rolling on the ground, so like he's playing a you know a lead solo. It's hysterically funny. You know, and other people might go, "Oh my God, he's touching old black old black." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not Neil. Yeah. Not Neil. Really? <laughs> that's amazing. That's right. I I would have been. Right. I I would have I could I would have said he would have been. I mean, old black in my mind is this like god of an instrument i can't even imagine <laughs> walking in and doing that that's awesome well yeah he's got a lot of really good guitars and you know what if if, if old black broke or was stolen or something he'd pick up another one and you, you know who he'd sound like neil young yeah yeah, exactly. yeah that's true yeah. very <laughs> true Neil, yeah so uh so let's talk about uh steve jordan a little bit he he is an amazing musician he's a great producer himself also, that's right. In my opinion, but uh, something Nico Bolas said was that it was all about the drums, 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 and oh. more fucking drums. And I think you may have said in that book I mentioned earlier and Shaky that uh, Neil Young was the only guy who could wear Steve Jordan out because he was obsessed with the drum sound. He wanted that big giant drum sound. And there were stories well, of first like of all, yeah. The, 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 the stories of the, the floor being littered with broken drumsticks because Steve Jordan, in his opinion, Steve Jordan wasn't playing hard enough. Well, uh, not true. None of that is true. The floor being littered with drumsticks might be true, but Steve, he goes for it immediately. He doesn't need to be told or directed or, put, or aimed in a direction. He knew what to do, and he started slamming away, and Nico knew how to record him. We didn't, you know, you're, from what you're saying, it sounds like we spent hours or days on the drum sound. We didn't. We, were, we started recording the day Neil got there, the first day we got there. We got a drum sound immediately, and, and we hit it. So... Uh, uh, yes, he wanted big drums, but there's a lot of other stuff on that. There's the Sim Clavier. There's all those synth parts. So right. it's not just about the drums, although the drums I think are spectacular on that record. Yeah, I mean, absolutely brilliant. Just the, the record, the way they're recorded, and definitely the way they're played. Yeah. Um, and then there's there's no actual. Is there no actual bass on this album? That's right. No bass. It's all synth bass or or, uh, or something off the Sim Clavier. Or I played. I played it on a keyboard. And, oh wow! And whose whose decision was that? Was that your decision as a producer? Was that Neil's decision, or was that like a budget thing? Like you didn't want to bring another guy in? It definitely wasn't a budget thing. It was. Uh, I think Neil wanted synth bass, but I can't really remember. But uh, I set up my my keyboard. I think it was a DX7, and uh, started playing bass. I, you know, I don't remember. <laughs> you know, we just we just hit it. it was, there was very little discussion. You know, Neil uh, trusted me to come up with stuff that would work, and he never said, "No, don't do that, don't do that." He never said that ever. Mm. So, uh, uh, you know, whose idea? I was pretty good at. Go ahead. I was gonna say, whose idea was the um, the boys' choir, the San Francisco boys' choir? I thought that was a cool touch. I, well, that was definitely Neil's idea, and I thought he was nuts. You know, I couldn't <laughs> understand where he, where he was coming from with the boys' choir. <laughs> But again, you know, now I just listened to the album just now, and it actually works very well. Yeah. So I was surprised. I, I thought it was an, a weird kind of move, but in listening to it back, I realized it was a really good move, and it works very, very well. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. So um, I was also reading that you left the sessions before they were done because, now tell me if this is true, and this is why we're having you on. You left the sessions or, uh, later on because Neil kept messing with the music. Like he did, you said you'd say it was finished, and he just kept messing with it. Is that true? Uh, no, I don't think that he wasn't really messing with the music. He wanted to. It was about mixing, and at that point, I was kind of unnecessary. I didn't leave, and I certainly didn't leave in a huff or any any kind of bad okay. vibes. Uh, at that point, Neil and and uh, his pal Tim Mulligan and, and and Nico 
were mixing and, and doing the whole thing. I was a little unsure because he wanted to mix off the uh, monitor board, which is just what you listen back on. <laughs> and usually you go over oh, yeah. to the actual cons- console and, and so you can use the EQ off the console. But Neil liked it with the sound that was getting off the monitor board. Yep. And if he likes it, that's the way it goes. But, you know, there was no conflict at all that I can remember. No conflict at all with Neil. And no, I did not, you know, my if, if he was messing with it, it's his to mess with. Mm. <laughs> it's his yeah. album, you know. Right. It's his music, it's his song. So uh, I wouldn't have uh, interfered. And also, just listening to it now, it sounds perfect. I don't hear anything that uh, was changed from the original recordings of it or, or uh, at any point. Let's see, that, so, that's another thing I was going to ask you was like, if you could do something different on the album, if there was a song where something you, you were like, well, I wish we would have done this. Was there anything like that on Landing on Water? Absolutely not. The only thing I would have changed is I would have had it say, all songs written by Danny Cortemar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did, you, did you offer, Neil, any, any songwriting at all for this? No. No, I didn't. No, it was all about him. And, and I just was trying to come up with parts that I thought would work for what he was doing. If you find yeah, a way no. to go back in time and add yourself to writing credits, can you throw us on there too? <laughs> <laughs> not just take his. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will say, Danny, not to change subjects too much, but uh, I hadn't. I, I had only heard of you in a producer type uh, aspect, and obviously your guitar playing before this, and then so before. Oh. Uh, we hopped onto this album. I went back and listened to your album, Cooch. Oh yeah, and I really, oh, really dug oh, that one, man. That's that's got some some funky stuff on it, man. I I just want to let you know I really like that. Yeah, that was I, yeah. I enjoy listening to that too. I'm glad we oh, talked to you so one funny. because we're talking to you, but two because Luke said you got to listen to Cooch. Yeah, it's really good. Guys, yeah. He texted me and I was like, oh, and I I love that record. I love that a lot. Oh, man. Damn, I love that man. sound. Yeah. And was that oh, all the guys? That's nice of you to say. Was that all those guys? Who was on that? Was that Russ Kunkel on that and, and uh, no, Lee Sklar? It was mostly me. I played drums and bass. Oh, wow. And some keyboards on it. Wow. And then uh, I had uh, Smitty. William Smith played a hor- organ on it on one tune. Nice. And uh, that was about it. I, 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 I wanted to do it all myself. I wanted to play all the instruments. So nice. basically I did it and then added some of the fellas in there. But Russ and Lee weren't on that one. Okay. Nice. And then you had another album uh, yes. in 19, was it 1980? You came out with another album? Uh, yes, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after that, it's just been the, it's it's like imme- just the immediate family now, right? Well, after that, I started working with, with Henley on his yeah. album. Well, yeah, but as far as your own recordings, like a, a Yeah, at that stuff. point, you know, yes, I stopped the. Uh, Try, I, I didn't want to be a solo artist. I, I never mm. wanted to be a solo artist, in fact. you know, I always wanted to be in a band, but it just wasn't happening. You know, uh, you know, immediate family, now everyone's around and can be in a band. But back then, everyone was gone. Everyone yeah. was either doing sessions or on the road all the time. So it was, uh, it was impossible to actually start a band. Right. Yeah. How are you guys um, faring in today's climate with the pandemic going on? Are you able to get together at all, or what are you guys doing? Well, we don't get together as much as we'd like, uh, that's for sure. But um, we did a uh, we did a virtual concert that will be streamed again. I'm not sure when, but it was streamed once a couple of weeks ago. It will be streamed again. It's us playing live uh, at a uh, soundstage. Sweet. And, uh, you know, we have, um, as you said, a uh, an EP out now and an album that's going to come out next year. Uh, and, yes, we miss, listen, we really, just like everybody else, we miss yeah. playing live. Yeah. Rock and roll is supposed to be played... For an audience. Oh yeah. hell yeah! Um, well, we're gonna 
what we want to do is play live. Of course, we have to wait until it's safe, until audiences will come to right. shows. Yeah. Uh, so until then, we're going to record. We're going to do more uh, videos. We've already done three or four videos from, from our, of our tunes. We'll do more of that. Yeah. Uh, we'll do some more recording. At least we can get together to record because none of us have the, uh, the virus. So uh, right. uh, we can do that. And that's, that's about it. We had gigs booked, you know, as I'm sure everyone did. And, and uh, actually everything got canceled. Are you still doing session work while this is going on? Actually, no. I haven't. You know, uh, I stopped doing sessions uh, like in the eighties, in the early eighties. As soon as I uh, started working with Henley, I got kind of kicked upstairs and became a producer. At that mm-hmm. point, I didn't do sessions anymore, and I didn't and I didn't tour anymore either. You know? mm. Wow. So, how is it? To me, Don Henley seems like um, someone. He seems like he would have the same personality as Neil Young, where he knows exactly what he wants, and you know, you can't really tell him what to do is it is it kind of the same way or is he also like neil which i was surprised like receptive to new ideas well um henley was definitely receptive to new ideas when i started working with him glenn fry had already made a solo album. the eagles had broken up and glenn fry had already made a solo album so henley felt he had to jump in the game and and uh you know make it make his own solo album so uh when i came up there when i came up to his crib and, and started talking to him about it First thing we said was, well, let's, we're not going to have any ooze or ah background parts. Right? <laughs> we're not going to have any big harmony singing. We're not going to have any, he didn't want to have any acoustic guitar on there at all. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, because of, uh, it might remind people of the Eagles. He wanted to, he just wanted to go in the opposite direction of, of what uh, the Eagles had done uh-huh. and, and, and carve his own path. And, uh, so, but, but he, he isn't a musician. Neil is a, you know, terrific guitar player don is is a drummer yeah it's hard to write songs on the drum you know right yeah that's true Mm -hmm. and what about working with david crosby Mm -hmm. uh you worked at david crosby at a time where i don't know have uh, he seemed like he was pretty messed up i mean were those tough sessions Well, actually yeah he was uh the crosby nash sessions which were a lot of fun we did uh a couple of albums uh, and a live album and we toured a bunch of a couple of times a few times the same band and it was a lot of fun. We loved the hell out of it. I mean, he's, Crosby and Nash at that time, and I'm sure still, uh, uh, really, really love music and really take it and just love it, take it seriously. And um, they love to get out there and, and get an audience going. And so we, we had a ball doing that. I never saw any real, well, I'm not going to go into it, but there was some bad behavior, but not much, not that much. <laughs> not anywhere near like what, what, what Crosby is known for. You know? Right. Back in back in the day, there were always there was always bad behavior by somebody, you know. Oh yeah. Sometimes me, you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not you, Cooch. <laughs> not me, not me. No. <laughs> and then you also worked with um, you worked with the Spin Doctors. Oh really? Is yeah. that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with... I made an album there. And what yeah, was and you worked and... with fucking John Lennon too? <laughs> Did you work with John Lennon? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Ringo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wild yeah. man. I got to play with I got to play with all of them at one point or another. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, yeah, it's pretty great. And that Jeez. that's because one of my best best and most dear friends is Jim Keltner, and Jim was very close with all the Beatles and all the Stones. So yeah. I got to meet all of them. And Jim has because uh, Jim has a Neil connection too. I think right? Isn't Jim on? Like, Jim Jim has yeah. played with Neil a bunch yeah. of times. Yep. The one yes, he has. That's right. The one that the top of the one that comes to the top of mind was like. Um, it was around 2000. He was doing a tour because oh, okay. I just saw a video yeah. of him and Donald Duck Dunn. Oh, yeah. And, That's right. Uh, yeah. 
I forget who else, yeah, but they were, they were uh, rehearsing. You ever play with uh, those guys, Donald Duck Dunn or any of those Stax guys? Well, unfortunately, I never played with Duck Dunn, but um, those Stax Bold records, let me tell you, when I was in high school, that's all I listened to. I mm. loved them. And what I loved the most was how they their interaction with each other, the fact that they uh, played so beautifully in the ensemble. And Steve Cropper was actually my first real guitar hero. Well, maybe I guess B.B. King was my first guitar hero. Mm. But Steve Cropper was was monumental in my uh, uh, idea of guitar playing. And I learned a tremendous amount from him. Or you could say I stole a tremendous amount from him. Either way. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what we all do. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what was the, the session that, that sticks out in your mind that was the most fun, that was the most invigorating? Because someone like you who has worked with everybody, you know, does it does it get to be like a job after a while? And, you know... Which which was the session where you were just like God? It's it's like it can never get better than this. Oh, you know, I've had so many incredible mm. experiences because look at the people I've worked with. These are like you know absolute geniuses. You know, like Jackson Brown's Running on Empty. I did that with with the, you know with that, and that was an incredible experience. We all loved it. Yeah, uh, that was a, a great great tour, and we all absolutely loved making that record and doing that tour. Can I can I, I just can with, I uh, can I ask you real quickly about Running on Empty? So, um, were you, so you were part of that tour. You were part of the band that was recording that album. Is that right? That's right. So were you on the bus when he was doing the recordings also? Yes. Oh, wow. Now who's, whose idea was it to put that album together? Cause that's a really, for that time, I thought it was a really unique idea cause he recorded songs on the bus. He had a song with Glenn Fry in a hotel room. Uh, that's where some bad behavior could have been happening. I don't know if you were present for that one. <laughs> um, and then uh, he was like playing in dressing rooms and stuff like that. Whose idea was it to put that album together like that? Well, there's only one person that could come up with that idea, and that's Jackson. Okay. And that way, he's very similar to Neil. You know, once he yeah. gets an idea in his head, that's what he wants to do, and he's going to pursue it with dogged determination. So uh, he's very much like like Neil in that way. It was his idea all the way down the line. The whole thing was. Yes. That's, yeah, because that's that's one of the, just the greatest albums of all time. It's just, and I just mm-hmm. think it's because of the way it was recorded. It, it was. Just you got to so, remember the way, went, the way I came up and the people that I, I grew up with, uh, starting in the in the uh, very late sixties into the seventies. Nobody told them what to do. You know, you go. You want to go and tell Crosby, Stills, and Nash what to do? Good luck. You know, <laughs> they'll they'll throw you out on your ass. No one can, no one told any of those guys what to do or what to play. That was only later that the when, during the, the reign of the A and R men, when A and R guys started terrifying their their uh, their various clients with um, you know that they were records wouldn't be promoted unless they did this or that. But this is um, the people I worked with were never affected by that at all. You, you know you you can't tell Linda Ronstadt or Jackson Brown what to do. He'll he'll just laugh in your face. You know. So right. that was part. That was one of the great things. It wasn't the music industry. It was music. Right. Yeah. And I feel like it's gotten harder and harder to maintain that. And thank God for the people that still can. And, you know, right. Well, you don't really need, right. you don't really need the, the industry anymore. I no. mean, there's people. Well, that's who, what everyone found out. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you and, uh, uh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that, uh, you know, there was a period in the, um, the eighties, especially in the nineties when the A&R guys ran everything, they yeah. turned out, they decided what to do. They were all powerful. And they were the kings of the universe, the masters of the universe in the music business. But then a funny thing happened. A thing called streaming happened. Right. You know, 
Yeah. A few years later, these guys are all gone. There are none of them. They're all gone. Yeah. You know what they're doing? They're online selling bull semen. Dick. <laughs> 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 not in the music business anymore. You know? <laughs> Is that the name of the new EP, Danny? Selling bull semen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's a good idea. I'll remember that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Did yeah, you? Uh, did you? So in the last, uh, like I said, we did uh, the album. Everybody's rocking, and on that song, there's uh, or on that album, there's a the song "Pale of Blues," where he kind of gets into the mm-hmm. Alan Freed and a lot mm-hmm. of. Stuff with payola and people kind of getting screwed over by publishing being sold and did any of that? Did you experience any of that or or did anyone try to do that to you while you were coming up? Can yeah. you name any names? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Um, when I first started off, you know, uh, in 1964, 65, it was a completely different universe and there wasn't a lot of money being made. But uh, the uh, the sun, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel was the Beatles, of course, you know, Beatles and the Stones. And they started realizing, oh, there's, there's power here and there's money here. But the thing that I think that really broke it open was um, Pete Frampton's live album, which was over 10 million units. And it was after that, people started, realizing, hey, there's money in this. And that's when the lawyers started coming in. That's when the lawyers started, you know, taking over the records, the record companies. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's, to me, that was a big sea change right there. Wow. And now it's kind of going the other way, I guess you could say. Working. Now it's going the other way, and yeah. and you know, listen, no, nobody, nobody, mind, no, nobody is grieving over uh, some of these guys losing their gigs. You know, mm. uh, you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's not like anyone is whining away because uh, some A and R guy, you know, is, isn't in the music business anymore. Right. You know, selling bulls. Uh, and and th- this this kind of this kind of wiped out a lot of the uh, the people that were just in it for the money. Now there's no money, so you know, find some other business to destroy. You know? Right. Well, of course, it's much harder to get gain traction now for right. advance because there's so yeah. much stuff. You know, the fact is, yes, it's more uh, democratic in that you can you don't need a, a record company to release your record or even to make your record. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, that means everyone's doing it, and yep. most of it's crap. Yep. Yeah, the more you know, the more people doing it, the more mediocre it's going to be. Of course, it's going to be standout stuff, but it's going to be harder to find. Yeah, wading through the crap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that's kind of what we're dealing with. We've been at it for almost 10 years now. And, um, you, you sort of kind of get into things where it's, you, you start to see that, oh, maybe this person had, it comes from a lot of money and, and their, you know, parents maybe got them some studio time. And so there's just like different, it's just a different world now as far as, and it's just constantly changing and evolving and shifting. And it's, it's, it's cool to see that guys like you, incredible legends are still doing it and um can can help us younger folk out with with kind of trying to wade through the waters of it all you know neil is is right. my greatest influence neil and levon are just my like two main guys but um so it's it's really it's really awesome to hear those those uh that advice from you danny i appreciate that yeah certainly i mean ultimately it boils down to i mean very good song yeah you know mm-hmm. having good 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 singing yeah. And uh, uh, and then going out and playing live and getting people going. Yeah. You guys know about that. You got to get them going. Yeah. Uh, hell yeah. And, uh, yeah. And and I think that's what your best shot because you get them going, the audience going, they'll go home and they'll tell their friends. I saw this band and they were killing, it, you know. And then uh, they'll tell other people. And that that's I kind of it's kind of always been that way. The word of mouth thing is yeah. the most uh, uh, impressive and the, and yes. the most the best way. 
Yeah. To, nowadays to people don't think of that people. enough. You know, they don't, they don't realize that that still matters a lot. Well, now we have That's social right. media. Right. Social media is kind of uh-huh. like that word of mouth thing. It's like, Hey, you guys, you got to check these guys out. And right. Yeah. But the, pro- the, the difference is it's like social media, but it has to be triggered from a live performance. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know? Instead of just someone telling yeah. someone else at a bar or at work, now you've right. got social media you can happen a lot on faster. Instagram, Facebook or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But it, but again, social media is like, you know, it's, it's completely inundated with 8 million different people, right. you know? So yeah, again, it's hard to get any traction just through social media because everyone is doing it. Yep. And when yep. everyone is doing it, that means that that lessens your impact. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, you got you to gotta set yourself apart from the crowd, much like Neil Young does. Yeah. Every well, yeah, album, exactly. every time. Yeah. Well, uh, Danny, yeah. thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. And thank you for your insights on working with Neil and landing on water. And I'm sorry we, uh, we disagree on that particular album. but Mike uh, disagrees. Well, I disagree. Oh, I'll go, you okay. All right, yes, I disagree. <laughs> Throw Mike on the um, But we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, man. Thank you very much. Was, and Danny, was, my, my pleasure. was there anything we could um, let people know to uh, a charity you're interested in or, or work of yours, anywhere we can point people that you might want them to go uh, give some praise? Well, I'd like very love. much for, uh, every, I'd like very much for everybody to uh, check out our, our uh, our album, you know, our, our EP, and then our album when it comes out. Slipping in and, a slide, uh, you know. Ch- yeah, slipping in a slide, which is really good. I'd also like everyone to vote. Yeah, <laughs> yes. you know, yeah. just like yeah. everyone is saying, vote like your life depended on it because it does. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so uh, and you know, I mean, I give to you know, I give to several different charities, just like most of us do. I don't need to go into that though. Yeah, totally. Yeah, cool, awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you, Danny. All right, Danny. All right. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for your time, man. I right. appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, much love, My man. pleasure. All right. Take care now, fellas. You, you too. too. Thanks. Bought a man in the street, flipped his wings like a dove, fell down to the ground, sliding deep in the mud. I got clouds in my eyes, blood on my hands, fire on my feet as I run to my love. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.